Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Ron Stefanski, co-host of Disrupt Ed, and I'm joined by Dr. Caesar, who's in the house. Hello, everyone. Hello. So before we get started with our guest, who's a an incredible educational thought leader, uh, what I wanted to do, Caesar, is talk a little bit about our trip to Automation Alley's Integrate Conference last week. You know, it was interesting to me the talking to advanced manufacturers, and there were 50 that were uh, on the showcase floor, not to mention over 1,200 people that registered for that conference. And one of the biggest topics of conversation was what? It was how do we get more students into STEM, which in turn will get more students excited about the future of manufacturing. So kind of interested, Caesar, to share your uh, reflections on Integrate before we, we, we jump in and start talking with Joe here. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. A couple of things. Number one, I just think it's an exciting time for us, you know, for the workforce, for our students. I just think it's a phenomenally uh, excellent time, excellent environment. You know, and I think we have a lot of work to do, though. And and that work is how do we get more minority and economically disadvantaged students into the space? I mean, I talked to almost each one of the vendors there. You know, just really unique, exciting, you know, technologies and industries from Canada, across the United States and around the world. It's just phenomenal stuff. But the cha- there's a challenge. And that challenge is that we need to have more populations and, and, and more diverse populations involved in this. And, and it was this conference, by the way, as I walked around, I think I saw one other person of color. Right. Maybe two. No, that's not true. I saw two. <laughs> you know, and, and and it's not critical of the conference itself, but it's critical of the overall industry. And that's why I'm really glad we have have Dr. DeBacco with us, because we need to prepare more of our economically disadvantaged students of color. And I, and I want to emphasize this economically disadvantaged, by the way, is because I'm talking about all demographics, right? <laughs> all of them. You know, and not just students of color, although I talk about that a lot, but I mean also poor rural students, you know, giving them an opportunity to participate in this. So it's an exciting time, Ryan. I'm glad you invited me because I saw now I'm on this new crusade, right, to talk about getting more people involved in this space. And just, I know, Ryan, I won't dwell on this, but the statistics about the skills gap around the world are tremendous, a tremendous gap, you know, which means K-12, we really have our work cut out for it, but we have the the perfect guest today, Ryan, to really talk about that. I agree with you. So to our listening audience, this is Disrupt Ed, where we talk to the disruptors themselves. And these are people who are passionate about what's going on in the world around them, but they're also people with our uh, very well known now GSD index. They are the ones that get stuff done. And with us today is Joe DeBacco, the superintendent. And Ryan said get stuff done, but it really is getting shit done too, right? Joe? <laughs> so go ahead, Ryan. <laughs> so Joe, Joe DeBacco joins us today. He's the superintendent of Ansonio Public Schools in Connecticut. Joe, welcome to the show. We're so happy yeah, welcome, to have you. Welcome, Joe. Thank, thank you, gentlemen. I'm excited. Just like you guys, are, I'm excited to share. Well, and we're excited to see uh, the kind of artwork that uh, your daughter's generating for you there in your office. That's pretty oh, cool. Oh, yeah, cool. <laughs> they got to pick the colors in my office of the paint colors, and they got to put the drawings up. So kudos to the girls. That. 
That's so, right. Joe, we were uh, we were just commiserating about the state of the state in advanced manufacturing, and it's about getting more skilled people, not only interested but excited about STEM, and excited about STEM because that's a direct way to start looking at manufacturing as a potential career for people. And you've done a lot in this area. So um, why don't you start out by telling us a little in our audience a little bit about how this all fits into your school district, because you're facing a lot of students who are economically disadvantaged in Connecticut. So the story goes something like this. You know, I became superintendent in Ansonia, Connecticut. Um, Ansonia, the most popular moniker is not to say that we're the most economically disadvantaged uh, city in the whole state of Connecticut. Uh, I serve a population that is uh, predominantly low low income. We have everyone gets free uh, breakfast and free lunch here in district. However, on the happy side, um, we had we had a very rich manufacturing history here in Ansonia. And understanding that um, the residents here, you know, kind of harkened back to a time where it was just bustling industry. And so, you know, I look at like a, a true Ansonia, like 2.0, like a true rebirth. So, you know, talking to what it, it's very hard in, in the K-12 space to say that we're getting kids ready for um, either STEM careers or the world of work without understanding or without having those conversations with businesses. So I was fortunate enough to have uh, the vice president of Secorsi become my business mentor. And it's and I chose to do that because my father's had a business here in in Connecticut. And I, I get frustrated when I see businesses saying, we don't have the people, we don't have the talent, we're moving out. And, you know, to be honest, I think that's a crock because what we need to do is get back to what made us who we are. And we need to have business and education needs to have those collaborative conversations. We can't have the silos where business says, hey, this is what they need to do. And in education, we had a focus on, oh, we're putting these kids out to college and this is where we need to. Well, guess what? I think times have shifted and times have changed. We have some unbelievable technology, some great jobs that are right there beyond a livable wage, beyond anything you could imagine that's really transforming some of the, some of these jobs are just absolutely interesting. Our kids can, can do them. However, we have not had the time in which to kind of recalibrate what we're doing in, in the K-12 space to say, you know what? We're going to get re- ready, you know, for STEM education. We're going to get everyone ready. So, um, understanding um, th- those couple of things, and the other thing that has frustrated me for the longest time, and having being a father of three little girls, as you could see with the artwork behind me, um, usually when it comes to STEM education, it's um, students of color and females are the are the number one people who do not get access to STEM right. education. Yeah, so, right. So it, it frustrated me to the point where um, I am a father of also mixed race children. So I was like, you know what? My daughters are the ones that, the, the ones that are not going to have access to this. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't sit here and say that's okay. So what I said, I, I did partner with a, a company to do some online uh, STEM education. So right now in my middle school, no students take um, study halls. Everyone takes a 15-week self-guided, self-directed STEM. Joe, Joe, just to, to interrupt, what, what, who did you partner with in order to offer those kind of courses? I mean, Literally. I know this is not a commercial. We just, I think our audience should know, you know, some of the organ companies and organizations that you're working with. 
Absolutely. At first, the, the company is called Tech Trap. Now they're called 21st Century Ed. And uh, here, here's the, the great thing is I have kids that do everything from Minecraft coding to making audio beats to robotics. But at the high school, I mean, they offer blockchain and Bitcoin classes and lean oh, wow. green certification for construction, um, drone flight certification, dental, you know, hygienist. Like students are getting access to, to, to classes that to, I, traditionally I couldn't offer. I don't have the teachers. I don't right. have the curriculum and I actually don't have the funding for it. But the, the other thing is looking at my for my taxpayers, why would I put the burden on my taxpayers to right. have those 59 classes that they can offer if I can offer them to them uh, online? Hey, hey, Joe, just a just a quick question. I don't mean to interrupt you, but have you what, what outcomes have you seen? Because I know you have a very robust program. So, <laughs> But let me say this, first of all, Joe. So I worked in Bridgeport. And to your point about the factories leaving, so they they drove me around Bridgeport and I saw Singer Factory empty. You know, all these, all these buildings just totally empty, right? Like people just flew out of there, right? But what's some of the, so you're absolutely point on on that. But what, what's some of the outcomes that you've seen with some of your children? So, well, I'll give you just some immediate outcomes. So it's interesting what even when kids do not complete their whole 15 week program and they they sh I'll ask a student, you know, why didn't this robot work? And he's like, well, I actually need an actuator over here. And if I put an actuator, this thing would this would th this would move in this way. And I'm saying to myself, well, according to my view, even though you didn't finish, you know what you needed to do. And I think that you've learned it because you now you know what to do on, on one respect at the high school level. You know, where are we seeing outcomes? Right now, I have three kids that were selected to be interns this summer at Sikorsky. And they're oh, going to be working, working with Fantastic. them, making close to, working close to $900, $900 a week, interns, juniors wow. in high school. So uh, wow. it, it, it's it's absolutely uh, fabulous. Some of the things that well, students well, are you know, doing. You, you mentioned something else that I think our listeners and viewing audience uh, want to know more about. And that is, you know, as season. Caesar and I were at the Integrate Conference, and then just this week, I went to the Rapid Conference here in Detroit, which hosted a lot of additive manufacturers and 3D printers and, and printing organizations. And what they showcased, basically, is the world of manufacturing as we know it. The dirty shop floors, the industrial wasteland, all of that's gone. I mean, now people are walking around in lab coats, and they have right, technology right. Now that will print a car, that will print, you know, I listened to the chief engineer from Honeywell talking about creating a rocket for a, a fraction of the cost and a fraction of the time by, by simply reducing the number of parts because the technology allows them to do um, uh, a lot of the processes all at once. The second thing that's exciting, and I think this is where Ansonio and other districts like yours come in, is that this 3D printing and additive manufacturing gives us an opportunity to bring and reshore industry back to the United States because small is the new big. These companies that are small and agile are bringing these technologies to launch. And once they do, uh, they get these things, you know, moving very, very quickly. Um, Joe Biden uh, just announced last week the Advanced Manufacturing Forward Initiative with five of the top technology companies. But what are they doing? They're promising 
that by 2025, they'll have a certain percentage of their procurement done through small and medium-sized businesses. And so I think for a lot of your students, I'm imagining that the answer is in some places at Sikorsky, but it's probably also in your community in a lot of small places as well. So you, you, you struck on something, Ron, very important. So there's 35 businesses that are just in the supply chain locally here that go to Sikorsky. And when you work with the vice president of Sikorsky, if I can't get a job proper for our students at Sikorsky, there's 35 companies around that service thing right. and, and many other, uh, other areas. Right. I mean, I have been fortunate. As you talk about the lab coats, I went with uh, a team of my administrators, and I actually have a college-to-career advisor. He's actually a 35-year veteran of Sikorsky, so, and uh, he was doing a lot when it came to uh, upper-level management, but a lot of it was procurement and logistics. And so what happens, he has great relationships with a lot of the vendors. And before COVID hit, I did factory tours. And you're right, Ron and Caesar. Guess what? We went to these factories. They're beautiful. They're not, They're beautiful. you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's not what I remember when I read, you know, about the jungle. You know, it, it's not, you know, it, right. it's, it's, they were beautiful. I mean, I went to this one place, uh, microboard, most beautiful. I was wearing a lab coat. They were doing very specific, you know, when it came to soldering and actually micro, micro, microboards, exactly what it states. Couldn't have been nicer, a wonderful place to work. I mean, I went to Prestige Powder Coating, a, a great business that, I mean, I, I got to tell you, there's sometimes I thought I, I'm like, I might just end it all and get a job over here. I know, I mean, right? I, I, I'm thinking about maybe enrolling in some of your classes, man. So. You know, to, your, to your point, I saw at the conference uh, this past week, a manufacturer doing those boards. And when they were producing it, they made mention of the fact that in the past when they're etching on those boards and putting the copper on the circuit board, um, a thousand meters of circuit boards requires 4,000 gallons of water, which is then toxic and needs to be flushed and purified again. When you're doing this in an additive way uh, in a high-tech factory like you're describing, um, you know, you're not creating industrial waste on a massive scale. Because you're 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 involved in an additive process, so I think that's something that changes. I'm sure the lens of what life in a manufacturing company looks like for many of your students. Yeah, and Joe, one of the one of the other things that I looked at your couple of highlights actually that the news did for you. You know, we're gonna we're gonna try to integrate some of that in this, but it's just really phenomenal because one of the things, and, and we'll talk about it also in our, our next episode with you. But is that what you've been able to do is integrate dual enrollment into these career type classes so students can have an opportunity to have on ramps and off ramps and do a number of different things, even getting certification, going back to college if they wanted to. So you've given them like multiple opportunities to take advantage of these career opportunities. I I can say one thing that we're immensely proud of. This is the first year. You know, we also have um, talk about STEM education. We partnered with Griffin Hospital, the CEO at Griffin Hospital, the, a, a local hospital here, and they actually have their own uh, allied health school. Instead of oh, me wow. having to pay for anatomy anatomy and physiology teachers, which I probably couldn't find, nor could I afford, but um, we actually worked with actually a, a local nonprofit called The Workplace in Bridgeport, gentleman mm-hmm. Joe Carbone. What they did, they helped people uh, retool um, and recalibrate their skill set so they're ready for the job market, usually for 
people who have been absent from the job market. But what they did here is, I mean, they provided our kids with scrubs, laptops, and everything necessary and paid for them to start the PCT, Patient Care Technician Program. And I can tell you, I have four certified phlebotomists that just came out. And they're oh, going to wow. at the end of their senior year, I'm going to have four certified patient care technicians. And they could either go work right for the hospital, work for an, another health uh, agency. I think a couple of them are going right to nursing, but they're going to come out already being able to earn and, and, and to be able to earn more money this, this summer than any of their, their high school friends that are waiting to go to college. And actually, they could probably work throughout going to college with those certifications they already have in hand. And if you ask me, I think one of them is definitely going to get hired by either the hospital or another health agency, and they're going to use the health agency to pay for their schooling to go get their RN and, um, and maybe become a PA. So uh, the pathways are the pathways are important, those STEM pathways. But going back to something Ron said, um, those 3D printing, right? We put makerspace areas in um, both of my elementary schools, and that's one of the best and most highly attended after-school programs. <laughs> it's like to make, create, do. It's like um, Legos on steroids. They could okay. make anything they want to do. We have it at the middle school as well, and you'll be surprised what what comes out of the 3D printer and what kids are being able to do and make. So, hey Joe, uh, hey Joe, just for our audience, what what is a what's the concept behind the makerspace? a makerspace? A makerspace area in general is a uh, it's a lot of exposure, especially at the elementary level. It's exposure to what you could do, create, make in in uh, an open at mind of what is uh what creation is. Because before first of all, how many of us have really seen a 3D printer in action? How many third graders? How many fourth graders? How many right. fifth graders? The answer right. is if you can expose them to what the technology is at the youngest age, you can open up their mind of creation to almost anything. Because once you see that, that little Lego guy that you used to play with and you say, well, you know what? I can make that in a 3D printer. It might take three hours for the, that thing to print out. But, man, I can make it. I could do it. I could create it. I could think it up, put it into my my program and a couple of hours later, it prints it right out. Before then, that was not something that you ever thought about that you could do right. ever. But now the possibility is like, well, if I could do that, maybe I could 3D print a building. Maybe I could 3D print a prosthesis. You know what? And if you're getting that at eight, nine years old, just imagine. No one ever did that to me when I was eight and nine years I old. I know that's right. You know, for sure. You know, at the rapid conference last week, there was a gentleman who was walking around the conference floor with a prosthetic that he himself designed using 3D printing. You know, our organization, Automatic uh, Automation Alley, has stood up an initiative called Project Diamond, where we've now developed the largest independent distributed network of 3D printers. So through a state funded grant, we were able to give away 300 3D printers to small and, and medium sized manufacturers. And several weeks ago, we got our first order and it was to manufacture a clip that could be used in tourniquets for the relief workers in Ukraine. Well, that order came in, and within two weeks, the specs had changed. So in the traditional model of manufacturing, you'd have to go you have on to the retool. retool, right. Retool. But this all happened at the design level, and within two weeks, we were able to ship out 3,500 of these clips. And what I'm finding is as we tell and socialize that story, you have students now that are getting excited because many of today's millennials and young people 
want to know that the work they're doing has some social impact. And the work we're doing in manufacturing with Project Diamond to assist and accelerate digital transformation in small businesses uh, by doing 3D printing and additive manufacturing, I mean, the possibilities are not only exciting and unlimited, but they are also cool and fun for today's students, you know, as they start seeing what this really means. And Joe, your model really is is phenomenal and needs to be shared on a national level. And one of the things that, that we need to talk about on our next episode is the community um, kind of reaction to what you're doing. I know they're super excited, but, I mean, but, but how you've been able to really integrate the community governance structure, you know, and rally support around what you're doing. You know, I mean, we really want to hear about that because you've, you've developed a template and a model for other school districts, large and small, to begin to emulate, you know? So we would really like to talk about that. Yeah, and Caesar, just to, you know, just to wrap what uh, Joe was saying earlier, I mean, one of the things that I think is a big takeaway for our listening and viewing audience is uh, Joe going out and making outreach efforts to the business community. I mean, that's yeah. critical. Now you have a Sikorsky, now you have a small business that's looking and saying, wait a minute, I'm having a hard time hiring now. I need to get into the schools now and start showing people what they can look forward to in three or four years mm-hmm. once their schooling is complete. And wherever they go on the pathway, whether or not it's community college, college, or just simply into a career. Yeah. So I think that's really important, Joe, and, and what you're doing is just really exciting. If I go back to Caesar, what you asked. So Caesar, you got to understand, I was at a when I first started as an assistant super, I walked into a, a coffee shop in town and uh, I had my my ID on my on my neck. And I said, oh, you're one of those overpriced administrators that we just hired. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, all right, since I get paid so well, let me buy you a coffee. So um, <laughs> I bought the gentleman a coffee and pretty much the conversation went like this. He goes, you know what? We're putting kids out who can't even hammer a nail into a wall and hang a picture, hang a picture on the wall. He goes, when I went to school, we did this, this and this. And um, what I got from that conversation, I, I, I tried to take the negative turn into a positive. What he was trying to say in his wonderful, articulate way was, you know what? Our kids aren't ready for this world. When we came out of school, we were ready and we had a skill set that was needed. And we, we were ready for it could have been the Ferrell Company. It could have been for. American copper and brass, but they they had the skills necessary to take the jobs that were out there. And I, I think, you know, somewhere, I, I think in the early 80s, when everyone said, hey, everyone's got to go to college and, and this is what we need to do. I, I don't want to say that we lost our way, but we did. But when I talked to that gentleman in the coffee shop, he had a bunch of friends around him. And I said, well, you know what? You have this rich tradition. It was a logical step for a for a community with a, a, a very proud manufacturing tradition mm-hmm. to, to make that step. So for me, I guess I was a little bit more fortunate. I don't know if every district could pivot in, it, in this way, but the thing is, I think they were ready to, to see that happen because a lot of people, you know, it harkens back to a time when they were, when we were something, when we made something, we did something, we right. were productive and, and we were proud. And um, I think that's something that they wanted to to see that to be proud all over again. And because they were making something, they were doing things that they could see every day that people were using. And uh, I also think that's that's not that's not gone. 
I see kids when you want to hear about the social impact, they want to know what they're doing is meaningful as well. Maybe right. they don't see it as ubiquitous as some right. other things that, you know, the coffee mill or whatever they had going on back then. But I think they want to be part of something. So for us to to go to that next level was uh, it was a logical step. And it was actually, I think, a catharsis. It was needed here. It was like a healing. Say, so, you know, did we do all this? Did we set the stage in, in when it came to manufacturing for us to just forget who we are? And I think for a, a lot of people, it was a welcome return to this is this is our next generation. This is the this next, is step. next generation. That's a great note, uh, Joe, to end on, because I think what you've shared uh, kind of debunks the myths uh, that that are so pervasive around STEM and around manufacturing. Um, you know, the high tech aspect of it, the cool aspect, and then also the incumbent requirements of our educating our educational leaders to go out there and to bridge the gap by engaging in real, authentic dialogue with the business community and finding out what those needs are. There's so many small communities like Ansonia that have built their base of support and economic growth on manufacturing, and I think the technology. Yes, in some respects, it will replace certain jobs, but it's also bringing in so many new opportunities. And I think you've done a great job today of showcasing that for our audience uh, and listeners. So thank you, Joe, for joining us. Any closing thoughts before we sign off another uh, episode of Disrupt Ed? We'll probably hopefully maybe talk about it in the future. But one thing you said about getting everything together I did want to let you know, last summer, I brought my teachers and I asked the Bridgeport superintendent. He brought his teachers and our guidance counselors and they did an externship at Sequoia. Oh, that's great. And they um, followed they followed people around through every aspect of, of the whole industry so they could come back and tell students about the jobs that are there and really could tell them, hey, listen, you don't need to listen to me. But if you want to make seventy two, seventy five thousand dollars to start, right. you, might, you might want to listen to when, I, when I'm teaching blueprint reading. You just might that's want great. to listen so, and, prepare, um, I, and, and preparing your teachers, because we did something similar a number of years ago, Ryan, I don't know if you remember, but a number of years ago in the, with Detroit Public Schools, we had an externship with Chrysler Corporation. So we had our teachers go out just so that they could get in tune. I mean, the, the challenge that we have, and we can talk about it a little more in the next episode, but the challenge that we have is school districts are too slow to move to the times, right? Education as a whole, by the way, not just not just K-12, but even post-secondary. And it takes them some time to get going. But I think you're you're setting a model where that's changing. And I think we really need to take a look at it and highlight it. So, Joe, thank you uh, for being with us today. Thanks for sharing your story. And uh, thanks also for all the important work you're doing in STEM for your students and your community. Uh, I'd like to say farewell to our audience for this episode of Disrupt Ed. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you. It, my co-host, Sit Dr. Caesar, and this morning we've been talking with Joe DeBacco, the superintendent of Ancio. Thank you yeah. again, and you. look Dr. forward to Dr. Joe DeBacco. <laughs> thank, thank you, gentlemen. I yeah. appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot, man.